Welcome to the Modern Slavery Pack podcast. I am Jakub Sobik. I'm a communications director at the center. The Modern Slavery and Human Rights Policy and Evidence Center was created to enhance understanding of modern slavery and transform the effectiveness of laws and policies designed to address it. We are funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council on behalf of UK Research and Innovation. Equality, diversity and inclusion, or EDI for short, are one of the most important principles for the modern slavery pack, as they go right into the heart of inequalities that underpin modern slavery. So we committed to making sure that people with different experiences, backgrounds and expertise have fair and equal access to opportunities that the center provides. We work into embedded EI across all our work, including our operations, the research we fund, networks we develop and participate in, and across all the activities that we deliver. A year ago, we published our first equality, diversity and inclusion strategy and action plan, in which we set out how we plan to implement improvements to EDI in practice. Our action plan has focused on four aims. The first one is equitably including lived experience in modern slavery pack's work and the research we fund. The second is improving diversity within the modern slavery research uh, community. The third one is uh, we committed to funding research that would assess EDA within the modern slavery research sector so that we can understand the current situation and how we can improve it. And the fourth one is embedding EDI in internal operations uh, across the center. So we did commission research to look into how diverse and inclusive modern slavery research is. The research was carried out by the UK BME Anti-Slavery Network, or BASNET for short, which is part of Africa Safeguarding Children, and the University of Nottingham, uh, in partnership with the University of Sheffield and St. Mary's University Twickenham. The research was launched on 17th of July with an event held at uh, St. Mary's University Twickenham. This podcast is a recording from that event. It includes a short introduction from the lead researcher on this project, Debbie Arillo from Africa Safeguarding Children. Then my colleague Izzy Templer gives a bit of background to our thinking behind funding this research. Then Dr. Liz Sat from Nottingham University presents the findings and recommendations from it. Then you can hear from my other colleague from the Modern Slavery Pack, Olivia Hesketh, who briefly presented our updated EDI, uh, EDI action plan, which we also published on the day and which was informed by this research. In this updated action plan, we included what we've done so far to achieve all our four EDI aims from the year ago to hold ourselves to account and also what we are still planning to do to make modern slavery research more equitable, diverse and inclusive. There are also short reflections from some of the members of the research team, Dr. Liz Saj and from Debbie Arillo, uh, and also from Habiba Aminu from University of Sheffield and from Nina Samota uh, from St. Mary's University Twickenham, who also did a great job of hosting the event. What we are not including in the podcast is the panel discussion and Q&A parts of the event. We wanted to make sure that the conversations were carried out freely without anyone holding back the views, experiences and challenging questions. You can read more both about the research and our action plan on our website at modernslaverypack.org where you can also subscribe to our newsletter, which is 
probably the best way to keeping to keep on top of our work. You can also follow us on social media at Twitter at Slavery Pack and on LinkedIn where you can just search for the Modern Slavery Pack. For now, I hope you enjoy listening to the recording of the event and I hope it will challenge you, as it challenged us at the Modern Slavery Pack, to think hard about how we can improve the way modern slavery research is done. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome to the launch of our uh, research report. Before we talk about the report, it is important to talk about the background to the report. And to talk about the background, we have to talk about BASNET, because without BASNET, this is not going to be happening. So what is BASNET? BASNET is a project of Africa Safeguarding Children. So you can see our banner all over the place. Africa, Africa Safeguarding Children uh, is an anti-trafficking charity, anti-slavery charity, and we work across the UK um, on policy, uh, survival engagement, uh, we run services for survivors, and so on and so forth. And in the course of our work, we realized that actually it's been many years since we've been doing this work, and Bas I mean, Africa seems to be one of the very, very few BME-led charities engaged in anti-slavery, anti-trafficking work across the country. So we um, were able to set up the UK BME Anti-Slavery Network, which is a network of small, black-led, BME-led charities. Either they're working in anti-slavery or they have an interest in anti-slavery. They have an interest, but they haven't been able to build the capacity to develop work because there's no access to funding and many other uh, constraints. Anyway. So we set up BASNET just before the lockdown. And of course, after the lockdown, we had Black Lives Matter. And with Black Lives Matter, we realized actually the work we're doing is not just about you know, empowering um, BME organizations. There's actually a huge problem in the sector itself. And that's in relation to equality, diversity, and inclusion. There's a big problem. And not just that many individuals and communities who bear the impact of modern severe human trafficking, they're often marginalized, uh, excluded in efforts to address the problem. So for that reason, we launched the Race, Equality, Diversity, and Inclusion Action Plan in 2021, I think. Yeah, it was 2021. And the idea was to help address the gaps in race EDI uh, in the modern slavery and human trafficking sector. And so, I mean, uh, I, I didn't put a link there, but if you go on the BASNET website, you can read the action plan on there. And these are some of the key thematic areas that we looked at in the action plan. And prominent there, you can see research and evaluation. So we did a lot of work with the UK Modern Slavery PEC to explore what would this mean in relation to addressing EDI in research. And um, based on that, MS PEC, Modern Slavery Pack uh, launched a call um, for research into this matter. This was last year. We applied for it, and miraculously, we got the funding with, in partnership with St. Mary's University, University of Nottingham, and of course, Sheffield University. Where is Sheffield? Sheffield, hey, Sheffield. <laughs> so we got the grant to do this work, and these are the issues identified uh, you know, by MS Pack, uh, Modern Slavery Pack, when they launched the call. Firstly, 
that, oh, sorry, this, uh, no, sorry, I'm still talking about our action plan. So these are the issues we looked at in the action plan, that firstly, there's the insufficient knowledge of and means of measuring ethnic diversity. Number one, of those carrying out non-slavery research, and two, those participating in research. So it's very unrepresentative. The modern slavery and human trafficking research is, and evaluation is insufficiently informed by people affected by modern slavery, including people from ethnic minority backgrounds, and three, that the UK research profession is dominated by British white people of a dominated, in my viewpoint, but it's mirrored by an apparent lack of diversity among researchers working in the field. So, you know, uh, there's a huge problem there on many fronts. Um, and there's a need, there's a need to build capacity within community-led organizations that represent affected communities to develop research and evaluation skills based on their work and experiences. So we do a lot of work around this issue. We're not able to articulate the work we're doing in the form of research. Uh, universities are not interested to partner with small organizations because, frankly speaking, they're not attractive to funders like the NSPCs and the big charities and so many other problems. So this was, these were the issues we identified. And so we had this key recommendation in our research report to conduct modern slavery human trafficking sector EDI audit. Based on that, the Modern Slavery PEC, in their own action plan, also identified EDIA as a problem. And so they showed their commitment to undertake research on EDIA within the wider modern slavery and research sector to understand the challenges and barriers stopping people from different backgrounds to participate in research. Um, this was in 2022, and uh, we applied for the grant, like I said earlier, our research was selected. And one of the unique um, characteristics of our research project is it will be the first time uh, a research project will be led by an NGO as part of MSPEC's um, funding processes to promote diversity in modern slavery research. So this will be the first time an NGO will be leading uh, a modern slavery research project. And the aim was to generate new data and insight into EDI in modern slavery research in the UK, identify good practice and apply recommendations to build and sustain an equal, diverse, and inclusionary modern slavery research landscape. So we started in September last year. We had some constraints, which I think we might touch on as part of the research, but we're launching the um, project now. And uh, the team included Dr. Lee Search, my colleague, Waves, please. <laughs> and myself, and Nina, and Habiba, and my colleague Naima from Africa, who is currently on maternity leave, so she's not able to be here today. So on that note, I'm going to hand over, no, before I hand over, sorry, we have house rules. Important to have house rules. Yeah. Firstly, Chatham house rules. So please feel free to speak in the knowledge that your confidential information will not be revealed. So this is a... It's not just a gentleman's agreement, it's also a lady's agreement that everything we talk about here remains here. And we have the A and A rule. So instead of judging ideas, we want this to be interactive. We really want to hear viewpoints as well. So instead of judging ideas, we should focus on adding to ideas or providing alternatives. That is the, the two A stand for adding and alternatives. And the two times two rule, everyone should wait until two other people have spoken 
or wait for two minutes before speaking again. So this is the two by two rules. We aim to create equal participation throughout the training or the session and tackle problems, not people. Please, this is not, there's nothing personal here. And please let's mind our language. Do not use exclusionary language that undermines, discriminates, demeans, or uh, undermines other people. So on that note, I'm going to hand over to Liz and Abiba. Liz, uh, for the uh, presentation of the findings of the research project. So very quickly, um, sorry we did uh, actually, we wanted the modern slavery pack um, to actually come and say a few words before we sort of open the results of the presentation. So it's actually over to Izzy uh, Templer from um, Modern Slavery Pack. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Thanks, Nina. Um, first, I just want to start by saying congratulations to the project team and successful launch of the findings today. And thank you so much for all of your hard work throughout the project. Um, and thanks for hosting us today. Um, so my name is Izzy Templer. I'm the Research Operations Manager at the Modern Slavery Peck. Um, later, you'll be hearing from my colleague, Olivia. I'm going to just start off by giving you a bit of a brief background to the PEC and then talking about why funding this research was so important for us. So the Modern Savory PEC was set up with public funding from the Arts and Humanities Research Council around two main aims. So first of all, generating new evidence that would help to enhance the understanding of modern slavery and then working with researchers really collaboratively to transform that evidence into effective policy change. So we fund research, but we try to be a really active research funder, and we're trying to fund research differently. So we really work with the researchers that we fund to try and utilise the evidence that they generate to drive real policy change. We sort of see ourselves as a broker, connecting researchers with policymakers, connecting researchers across the sector and bringing people together. And it's great to see events like this today with so many fa new faces in the room to sort of be able to just really have an open dialogue and talking about the issues facing our sector. So when we fund research, we work to our three guiding principles. These were generated following a consultation with the wider sector in 2020, and they're effectiveness, equity, and survivor involvement. So when we talk about effectiveness, what we mean by that is really looking at what works and how we can make policy impact happen from the research that we fund. When we talk about equity, we're obviously talking about the societal inequalities that leave space for modern slavery to happen. But we're also thinking about equity within the way that we conduct ourselves in a research space. So this piece of research is really key to sort of addressing that principle of thinking about how we can fund research and conduct research projects in a more equitable way. And then finally, survivor involvement. This came through very strongly from our consultation. It's something that we've really tried to factor into our own ways of working, and, the way, and we've asked projects to try and factor it into how they work and how they carry out their research projects as well. And it's definitely something we're sort of always learning more about and always trying to improve. So the Modern Savory Peck is currently funded to March 2024. We're in active discussions with the Arts and Humanities Research Council for what the shape and ways of working for the PEC will look like post-March 24. The principles and values of EGI are always going to remain core to our work, and research of this kind will always be part of our future. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about how we sort of came to fund this project, building on what Debbie's already covered. So when we fund our research calls, we try to do so in a really collaborative way. But thinking back to the recommendations that came out of our research consultation, 
of ensuring that um, EDI and ensuring that survivor involvement is a really key part of our ways of working. We've tried to factor that into how we sort of run our funding calls. So, you know, for this call in particular, it was reviewed um, by consultants with lived experience of modern slavery. They also sat on the selection panel. So we really tried to make that sort of a core value that we work to. And another main part of this is really collaborating with the sector and trying to be engaged with the sector. So obviously the amazing work that Basner has done was really key part sort of driving us putting this funding call together. So really when it came to the rationale of the call, after the Basner action plan came out, we took those um, recommendations away. We spoke about them within the centre. And as Debbie said, we put together our own EDI strategy and action plan, trying to weave some of those recommendations for us into core commitments into our working. One of the objectives was to fund research on EDI within modern slavery research. It's a little bit meta, but a very important thing for us to be doing. Um, so we sort of made that a real commitment in our action plan to make sure that we really um, invested time and funds into this really important issue. And we wanted to make sure that the research would help us understand the challenges, but also make recommendations, sort of thinking back to effectiveness and how we can use the finds of the research to really inform our ways of working going forward. So in terms of the aims and objectives of the research, we had three, aims of, three sort of main aims and objectives. The first around generating new data and insights on both the challenges, but as I said, the opportunities, with a focus on all legally protected characteristics, and in particular, thinking about how this relates back to incorporation of individuals who have lived experience of modern slavery within the research space, and encouraging the team to look at sort of wider diversity characteristics that might impact on somebody's ability to take part in research more generally. Next, we wanted to identify examples of best practice, both within the modern slavery sector, but appreciating that we're quite a new research area or quite a young sector comparatively. So looking sort of to wider elements of um, research and seeing how we can draw from good practice on their operations. And then finally, developing recommendations for funders. We're very reflective at the PEC. We always like feedback and we always sort of like to improve our ways of working. So we definitely wanted recommendations for ourselves, but also looking at you know, and others who are working in the modern slavery research space and how we can try and influence that more generally. We wanted to obviously inform our own operations and our future plans, as I spoke to earlier, and my colleague Olivia will be speaking about how we sort of are thinking of factoring some of the findings of this research into our future plans after we hear about the findings from the research team. Um, but with that, I will pause there and hand over to the research team. Really looking forward to hearing more about the findings. Thank you. Um, thanks, Izzy, and sorry for trying to elbow you out before you'd even spoken. <laughs> well, it's really great to see a full room of people. It's a fantastic day to be launching this piece of research after quite a lot of work. I think it took us a bit longer, Debbie, than we'd anticipated, but, you know, the best thing comes to those who wait. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming, and... Um, um, I'm presenting on behalf of the full team and I want to acknowledge everyone in the room that's participated in that and also um, in particular Habiba who won't be presenting just now but that was just because of um, some short, uh, short notice leave but very much um, represents the full work of the team. Uh, so let's get going. The next 30-40 minutes I'm going to 
give you a quick outline of the methods that we used in this piece of piece of work. Uh, it proved to be probably a bit bigger than we'd first imagined when we thought about how we would gather data. Um, and that's partly because it's an enormous issue. And so we had to try and do a, a thorough job, as thorough as we could in the time available to us. So I'll talk a bit about the methods, then summary of findings and outline the recommendations. I'll probably linger on those a bit more because I think those are the things we'll be discussing um, after the presentation. So a quick note on how we approach the problem. So uh, this graphic shows the different elements of the issues relating to quality, diversity, inclusion that we took account of. So um, perhaps when I've approached problems of EDI, and I'll just use that for shorthand um, today, I've been thinking about it from a particular perspective. So as a researcher at university, I'm often thinking about the diversity of the researcher workforce, for example, the people that I work with most commonly in universities. But then when you expand out from your own experience, EDI actually cuts across all the different elements of research, not just the researcher workforce. So um, in acknowledgement of that and with our reading around the topic area, with the influence of the Basnet Action Plan, and we, we chose to focus on these four areas, which made the task quite large. So not only were we looking at the researcher workforce, which included uh, researchers and students doing research, we also, with help from the Monslavering Peck, brought in uh, people who work on the administrative side of research into that uh, definition. And then we also thought, well, we also probably need to think about um, research funders as, as part of the, the brief. So what's the approach to EDI across research funders? So we have some research councils, um, one of which funds the Monslavering Peck. But there are other researchers in the UK that publicly fund research, so we'll have a look at EDI uh, for in, in the research funder context. And then research participants. So, so how diverse is uh, the, the base of people who are involved in research? So we know historically in the UK we've had a problem with representing different people and communities in research. So for example, uh, my background is in health research. We know that a lot of some of the trials and research programs that are undertaken in the, in the health sciences community do not represent the diversity of the population in the UK. And that's problematic because we're developing medicines, interventions for people um, across the UK. And if we're not taking everyone into account in our sampling, um, then we've got a problem with the um, recommendations and outcomes from those studies. So we um, thought we'd take into account uh, EDI among research participation as well. And then finally, um, the contributors to research. So contributors, it's a bit of a, um, a, a woolly title, but really everyone who um, is involved in advising research. So if you have a research advisory group, um, if you have a public advisory group, um, or you have um, advisors like professional advisors to research project, like this project we had a... Um, and a project advisory group that was included people from uh, university research sector, but people also from the community sector and uh, uh, people with lived experience. They were telling us about the progress of our, of our project as we went along. So we wanted to look at, well, who's advising, who's advising research projects um, from different perspectives? And is that taking into account EDI issues too? 
So it was a big remit. <laughs> um, and perhaps we took on uh, rather too much, but I think it's been worth it in the end. But that was our approach to EDI across the non-slavery research sector. I don't need to go over the aims of the study again because we've had those covered twice, but I will return to them in the back uh, at, the, at the very end because I think it's worth considering um, the top aim in particular. So have we generated new data, new insight, and have we identified key strengths, opportunities, gaps, and challenges? And that's what we'll reflect on at the end. So we had four broad work strands um, to the programme. We looked at workforce data. So this was the strand on the researcher workforce. We tried our best to look at existing diversity data. So how, how diverse is the researcher workforce looking at the monitoring data? So you know you get new diversity monitoring forms at the end of um, uh, your application for jobs or um, if you're applying for research funding, you often have a diversity form to fill in. So the UK uh, um, Research and Innovation uh, funding mechanism, they, they, they hold diversity data and we were able to access anonymised um, versions of those data. Also the Monslavery PEC, they have monitor diversity monitoring data, so we looked at those data too. Um, but to look at the characteristics that extended beyond the nine protected characteristics, those, those are the characteristics protected by law, we also conducted our own survey of people who worked in the Monslavery field in some sort of research capacity, so they were part of the researcher workforce and we collated 93 usable responses to that, that survey. So thank you if anybody's in the room that filled that in. Um, the second strand, a focus group activity, cut across all of the themes. So there's four areas of EDI. And BASNET um, uh, coordinated the, uh, the development of those groups, recruited to those groups, and carried out the focus groups, um, which is a you know a great addition to this this piece of work. Um, we had four groups. One was a lived experience focus group, um, a funder focus group, a focus group made up of researchers, and a focus group made up of community organisations. And then at the end of the programme, we did a validation exercise across those focus groups just to check that our findings or our emergent findings made sense to the people that had participated in the, in the programme. So we, did, we conducted five overall and had 23 participants in those four groups. We also looked at um, the research reports that the Modern Slavery Policy and Evidence Centre had, uh, had published. These are available all online. There were 22 of them that were available to us at the time. And here we were looking at how researchers reported their conduct of research and the design of their research projects to see to what extent elements of equality, diversity, inclusion were included in reporting. And then finally, we looked at the documents, uh, strategies, action plans and reports of 17 funder organisations. So these are research funder organisations that may have funded on slavery, human trafficking research in the past to look at their EDI strategies, action plans, and if they had any evaluation outcomes. I think generally speaking, all of the funders have their own EDI strategies, but we don't always find evaluation material to see if they're working. Okay, so those are the methods. And this quote is quite interesting as a starting point, really. So this came from the, uh, the researcher, one of the researcher focus groups. 
And it really shows that there's um, what we found across the data was that there was a demand for improved EDI and a focus on EDI in modern slavery research and that it should be very intentional. It should be strategic um, and that this project um, and the work that surrounds it was very much an opportunity to, um, to start on that journey of improving EDI in modern slavery research. This, this relates to the first headline finding that we have in the report, which um, should be available later on today. Um, the, the EDI was valued within the non-slavery research community, and that the data that we gather on this community, the research community, must be collected and analysed appropriately and meaningfully. Um, and that, I think in that spirit, that's how we conducted our a survey um, on EDI in the workforce. So there's a demand for improved EDI, which is good. It's a good start, a strong starting point. So when we looked at the, the workforce, um, we've, some of these, these are some of the headline fi findings of that. We found that um, around half of the researcher workforce, or people working within non-slavery research, were uh, reasonably young compared to uh, other fields. Um, and uh, the survey respondents in particular, so the people that we captured in the survey were, um, were aged 44 or under, so 64%, around two-thirds was aged 44 or under. Um, and that might be because we, we were picking up PhD students, maybe master's students, and also administrative staff, so slightly younger profile. Um, we're quite female-dominated, so two-thirds of the, um, from the three data sources were, were women. And uh, around three quarters were self-defining as white, uh, white British um, uh, researchers or people working in the researcher workforce. Um, and in our survey, we had uh, one person in three identifying as black and minority ethnic. In terms of um, disability, so we used a couple of different questions in the survey based on best uh, practice in capturing diversity characteristics. Um, and 28% of the survey respondents said they had some uh, small or uh, barriers or limitations to their day-to-day -day activities related to health conditions or physical or sensory cognitive differences. So this is a very um, all-encompassing definition of dis disability and not uh, the simple question around um, disability or whether someone identifies as having a disability under the uh, Disability Act. So just characterising the, the workforce there, um, in terms of protected characteristics, or at least a few of them. We also, taught, we also asked questions around um, uh, caring, sexual orientation, nationality, and socioeconomic diversity. Um, and unsurprisingly, if we uh, think about the gender characteristics of the sample, um, we have uh, a third of people in the survey identifying as a sole or joint carer of children. So again, reflecting the female domination there. Uh, three quarters identified as straight or heterosexual and um, uh, in terms of the survey we captured uh, uh, very many different nationalities um, 32 percent so a third reporting a nationality other than British uh, which may be and we couldn't find a really useful comparator here but that may be quite uh, unique to non-slavery human trafficking fields obviously without boundaries, without borders, um, may well capture all those international partnerships that, there are, uh, that are in evidence. In terms of socioeconomics, a third, around a third of people uh, responding to the survey went to a non-selective state school and uh, two thirds had 
a, a main household earner in the top two occupational brackets aged 14. So coming from reasonably privileged backgrounds, which again is very reflective of the UK researcher base. So a reasonably privileged um, background, although um, uh, we also asked questions around international non-selective state schools too, and there was a reasonably large proportion of people that went to uh, non-selective state schools overseas in the sample. So not great differences, I think, not great differences between what you would expect to find in the researcher workforce across um, a lot of the social science fields in the UK. But nevertheless, we've got a baseline now. We know what the, the, the baseline characteristics are of the non-slavery workforce, so that's hopefully something we can compare and contrast with in future years. So we're gathering this data, but we're making sure we're gathering it for a reason. We want to use this as an opportunity for a baseline um, exercise. And, there's, and it also highlights some, some issues or problems or some interesting emerging uh, uh, findings, especially around um, uh, race, ethnicity, gender. Um, there's a balance to be struck here um, between doing this sort of exercise and making sure it's not... Um, uh, considered to be box ticking because that's something we found in the in the focus groups is that people were really generally very averse to having equality diversity inclusion being treated as a tick box exercise so you, there needs to be a good reason for collecting these personal data um, this example here was was given in relation to survivors but I think it applies across the board when we're thinking about EDI we need to think about how it intersects or how different characteristics experiences um, uh, intersect with each other so that we're not just focusing on, on one characteristic at a time. So um, here the, the characteristics of uh, um, sexual orientation and, and disability have been put together to say that they can have a, an additional impact on experience. And I think that applies to the researcher workforce as well as the, uh, the survivor community. Um, but nevertheless, an important uh, insight there into the importance of how elements of, in, of a disadvantage may intersect to disadvantage some people over others. So sticking with the survey, I think um, it, we asked a few additional questions about um, people's experience in the researcher workforce. And this one's quite interesting here. I'm not sure if you can quite see it at the back, but we've got some um, uh, indication of the sorts of training people had had around EDI. So, um, as you can see, you've got uh, on the left-hand side of the graph there, the first bar shows that um, over 60% of the respondents have had online EDI training. So again, something probably very common experience of doing the, the inst institutional EDI training online that's mandatory, and far fewer had uh, experienced face-to-face -face training. The, the middle bar there relates to a, quite a common trend now in EDI uh, uh, training which is around unconscious bias uh, for better or worse unconscious bias training has become quite popular I don't think for worse but certainly it's um, been used a lot um, so around half of the sample there had had unconscious bias training far fewer had had cultural competence training and there was a uh, in several of the projects or the two projects that have um, conducted with uh, Basnet there's been a uh, focus on cultural competence as a necessary skill for researchers, but something which is quite hard to access. Um, and I think that's something that we could really build on and take forward. Whenever I've looked for con cultural competence training, I find it really quite hard to come across it for researchers in particular. It's something that we could talk about perhaps on how to build that. 
Um, and there'd also been some uh, more than one in five people reporting they'd had survivor-led training. So this is where people with lived experience of exploitation or trafficking had, had provided training to researchers, um, which is a, is a welcome new addition. Again, it'd be interesting to see if this changes over time, if it grows over time um, from this baseline. We had some free text uh, entries here about um, what people would want to see from training. Um, and aside from cultural competence, there were three issues uh, raised here about um, bringing different groups together to create more diverse research teams, which I think is really necessary. Um, uh, just from my own experiences of working in universities, diversity is uh, a challenge um, and remains to be so, especially um, there's a welcome work that I've been doing with Basnet and Afrika has been about working with smaller community-based organisations rather than the big NGOs, which seem to have maybe their own EDI challenges too. The issue around saviourism um, in the anti-trafficking sector in particular and by implication in the research sector, um, I'm not sure if I've ever come across a piece of research that addresses this challenge explicitly, but I think it's something that could be addressed well in sensitive, tra uh, sensitive um, research and in potentially sensitive development of research uh, training packages. And then increasing opportunities for early career professionals with lived experience to develop a career in non-slavery research was another idea on, on training and you know, shows the direction potentially for travel in this, in this area. So interesting on training, but something slightly more bothering um, on the uh, questions around bad experiences, people's experiences of discrimination um, and uh, generally poor experiences in, in their role as researchers or working in research administration or in some form in the research sector. So this is not a surprising finding, which is a bit depressing <laughs> because there's a lot of uh, reported bullying and harassment across um, the higher education sector. Uh, and it's something which uh, strands of work by the British Council and the um, researcher um, academies are, are trying to address the issue of bullying, harassment, uh, general poor experiences across the sector. Um, so I don't think this is particular to non-slavery research. I think it's a, a problem of the university sector, um, but be useful to discuss with you about that. So then moving on to research design and conduct. So this is where we looked. We looked at the research focus group data. But we also looked at um, research reports produced by the Monslavery PEC. Um, and we did find examples of inclusive conduct and inclusive design. But we had more problems, I think, in trying to discern whether those design, uh, designs were inclusive and whether the conduct of those projects were inclusive because it wasn't particularly well reported. Um, it may have been that we were looking in the wrong places. So we, we were looking at reports, but we might have wanted to look at other published material. So maybe if research teams had written journal papers, they would have been clearer about their conduct and their design in terms of bringing in equality, diversity, issue, diversity inclusion issues. Um, but I think it potentially is something where we can do a lot of work to improve things. So we need to know more about who's participating in research uh, so that we can better account for EDI issues. Um, and that really brought us to our second main sort of headline finding around inclusive design, inclusive conduct, which was um, that we need better reporting. Um, and of course, you need to do that in a 
proper way ensuring an anonymity and confidentiality and so on but i think we can do a, mu- a lot better there are some protocols there are some guidelines that we can already use that are out there to improve reporting on on edi um, one of the issues that came up repeatedly in the focus group discussions was this issue of how research could be used as a vehicle for justice um, so that there was um, uh, a kind of higher purpose to research. Now, this is a controversial uh, area and I think it's um, been um, underexplored and it certainly hasn't been ironed out the extent to which monoslavery research um, should be used uh, for em- empowerment or can be used for empowerment. Um, and again, that's another conversation we can have um, to try and identify you know, to what extent is research uh, a, a vehicle for healing and a vehicle for justice for people who have survived um, abuses. We talked about um, safe spaces in our discussions in the focus groups and that research, when it's conducted really well, can should be designed to be a, a, a safe space for discussion of uh, very challenging um, uh, experiences. But I think it kind of rose to the surface that this was actually about, in the context of EDI, about it being a brave space, about us being able to talk open, openly and freely um, in a way that... Um, acknowledge that when we're talking about equality, diversity, inclusion, we all come from different places and backgrounds and we'll make mistakes. Um, We might talk clumsily. We might not be as sensitive as we could be, but it's not intentional. And that we all approach this um, challenge of EDI from a good place to improve EDI for everyone. And we're serving um, the purpose of trying to... um, study and understand one's slavery and human trafficking so as to minimise it, to eradicate it, to eliminate the harms that it does. So the quote there from the focus group is really great in that it kind of reminds us that um, we're approaching this in good faith, that we're doing it um, uh, with genuine commitment for the right reasons. And maybe we could develop some sort of consensus in this forum to have that as a public statement when we're looking at EDI. And this quote here from the community organisation participant really just um, maybe is a bit of a, a uh, easy instruction for researchers just to remind us that we need to do these things. Uh, you know, what's our sampling like? How, how is our sampling um, based on what our outcomes are expected to be or what we're looking for in terms of outcomes, our methodologies? Are we looking, are we even interested in diversity when we're thinking about our research design? It's just a a little aid memoir for us when we're thinking about our research designs. Um, And it was interesting that came from a community organisation who's quite clearly research literate um, and might be a useful reminder to some of us as researchers about what we should be doing and why are we being diverse enough to be inclusive. So we might want to be inclusive, but if if the fora is not diverse, how inclusive can you ultimately be. When it came to reporting diversity in these um, research reports, we did a simple count of uh, the different characteristics and and which studies were reporting on those characteristics. So we weren't considering um, uh, uh, the intersections here. We're just looking very simply at gender, age, etc. 
and we can see that there was some um, good reporting, and this is out of 22 pieces of uh, research reported. Gender was re being reported commonly, age was being reported commonly, and you have to remember these are all different study designs and uh, uh, approaches to the, to the problem. 12 reported uh, on lived experience, six on race and ethnicity, um, but as you can see, there was um, no reporting on uh, sexual orientation, gender reassignment, and very low reporting on disability. And this, you know, obviously, it's it, we have to consider this in relation to the sorts of uh, projects that were being reported. But it also makes us think about, well, what was being commissioned? If we don't have any reporting on sexual orientation, that's because we're not doing any research on issues relating to sexual orientation. So... How are we setting the research agendas? Because we know from our advisory group that there are um, important non-slavery issues relating to the intersection between uh, race, nationality, and uh, sexual orientation. So setting research agendas, perhaps is, if we take a few steps back, is probably where we should come to when we're looking at this, this slide. Um, so, you know, the absence of reporting on sexual orientation and gender reassignment disability means that we're probably not really looking uh, at those issues in our modern slavery uh, research agendas. Yeah. Funder policy and practice, we reported this um, back to funders uh, recently. So we do have um, engaged um, funder uh, community, m with many thanks to the, the PEC for organising those things and uh, there's um, definitely an increased focus on EDI among funders. But I think also perhaps um, we face a challenge in that funder organisations are huge and they take a long time to turn around the tanker analogy there. So if we're wanting to propose things to funders, we have to recognise it will take time for those things to change. Monslavery PEC and, the, and other PECs are potentially more agile and can shift more quickly. So that's, that's good news. In this field, it's an opportunity for us. In terms of funder policy and practice, then the focus groups and from what we could discover from the documentation, there was a demand for um, going beyond the usual suspects in, in research, including modern slavery research. And uh, he's got a community organisation participant saying that there's actually a responsibility on funders to promote their processes and opportunities as far and as wide as possible. And we need to help funders do that with our connections in communities. This, this field of EDI in, in research is generally an, an emergent field. So even though the people who've maybe worked uh, in disparities and equalities for a long time might think how can EDI be new <laughs> but it, it is really a, it's emergent uh, phase for uh, in terms of really serious exploration of the problems and the solutions so the, it's not, as it's not a mature mature field it means we didn't have a lot of evaluation materials to look at um, so uh, we were kind of limited in the conclusions we could come to previous workers said that we we can see that there's been quite a lot of activity around uh, gender, for example, improving um, opportunities for, for women in, in research. We found examples of promising practice, which is good. Um, we've got some good examples from Wellcome in particular. They produced an anti-racist toolkit and an equitable funding practice library, which are actually really quite cutting edge and helpful. We don't know how effective they are because they're not yet evaluated. Um, and Monslavery Pecker are one of the pioneers of doing really important work around being advised by affected people and communities.
interestingly, um, as a kind of uh, alternative to the, uh, the, the tick box approach that many people feel that is often what EDI constitutes, um, we had a suggestion from one of our funder participants um, that um, there needed to be some disruptive action. In fact, I've got a community organisation quote here, but one of the funders also reflected on, reflected on it, that, um, oh, sorry, it's here actually, that there needs to be some disruption about the way things are done. So carrying on with the kind of um, collective orthodoxy that has been uh, long-standing in the funder uh, workplace or workspace needs to be disrupted. And we can do that in different ways by, for example, questioning what's really important when it comes to criteria in a piece of research and what's actually just there because it's always been there. And I think we could do some really helpful critical assessment of that sort of, that sort of uh, practice. That led us to a third headline finding, which I won't get back to the screen to, to reveal, but this was about um, uh, intentionally reframing EDI away from the compliance regulation uh, approach and more to this kind of uh, uh, intentional action approach. So if we go back in our minds to the, the theme around um, uh, the absence of reporting on uh, sexual orientation, disability and, and uh, lower reporting of some characteristics, um, it, 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 this kind of was supplemented by the feedback we got from the focus groups that there were lots of potential research agendas out there and um, many of those sorts of interesting questions that that are directly focused in on equality, diversity, inclusion hadn't been explored. And we found overlooked topics, overlooked populations, overlooked beliefs and practices. And actually, even in the focus groups, there were some silences. So some topics that weren't really discussed at all, but do relate really strongly to EDI. And taking it from the silences end, we didn't really discuss in any of the focus groups issues around cognitive impairment or neurodivergence. Um, and we also talked a lot about the accessibility of inputs, so survivor involvement, diverse community involvement in the in the um, uh, the inputs to research, so the generation of research, but not much about the outputs. So how accessible were the outputs of research to affected people, communities, interested parties? So there were some silences also, even in what we were discussing, and we were trying to cover uh, so much ground. In terms of overlooked topics. Um, the role of the family in exploitation, issues around domestic servitude and slavery are really under-examined um, topics. Overlooked populations, black African populations, gypsy Roma traveller populations, uh, uh, gay, queer, men or sex of men populations, very, very little research. Even when I've done systematic reviews um, of the global literature, I found very few examples of research from queer studies, for example. Um, overlooked beliefs and practices, uh, witchcraft, juju, for example, and uh, paying intermediaries for work, the sort of extent to which those sorts of uh, practices are embedded within um, particular communities, and also the role of shame and stigma. You would find shame and stigma come up in a lot of the reports that we were looking at, but very little like deep exploration of what um, shame and, and stigma and um, the role that played in um, for particular um, communities. So there were lots of themes. We've got an appendix at the back of the report that identify the themes and the research questions we might want to ask that are as an outcome for, uh, from this uh, consultation, but we could have probably built on this more intentionally if we'd had that as one of our goals. Okay, 
let's linger then on some of the recommendations. Um, we came up with three kind of broad categories of recommendation. One on the research process, and that was for funders and researchers. One on the research workforce, which is for funders, employers and research leaders. And then um, EDI in policy and practice uh, for funders and employers. I think perhaps whilst there are particular recommendations for groups of people, I think this is for the whole modern slavery research community, and it may in fact be beyond it. So we can maybe think about research just overall. So these, these first recommendations are really probably about the field overall, um, about um, where we might go from here in terms of like developing the right kind of landscape so that EDI can flourish. So promoting the field as a site for brave, open or courageous conversations goes back to that comment around, you know, we'll, we'll all make mistakes. Um, we need to learn. We need, need to be a proper learning environment. We don't need to be afraid. So one of the funders commented um, on, on how people maybe who, were, who maybe might have to be relinquishing more power might be nervous about exploring those issues with, across organisations. Um, so having... Having, you know, again, intentional statements around the modern slavery um, research field as a site for brave or open, courageous conversations would be helpful as a starting point. We could do some really good co-production work, I think, on explicit values, goals and principles of the research field and say, you know, who this research is for. This might help us address the issue around the extent to which research is a site for... Um, uh, um, a site for empowerment... And then again, we can do some good co-production work around how research reflects those values and goals. So what does good EDI, uh, what does EDI look like in good research? Or what's good EDI look like in research? What are our values and goals? It'd be really helpful that then we could match up those intentional values and goals with the methods that we're using, the research designs that we're using. Thank you so much. So that we can see the direct link between modern slavery research as a... As a um, with a set of principles, values, and goals, and how that translates into research design. So we found a really good example of um, Patricia's work around uh, child exploitation, where there was an intentional participatory um, research design where the hierarchy was flat. So there was not this kind of differential between the researcher and the researched. So participating in generating knowledge and using knowledge. So there's some good some good ways in which we can improve the transparency and, and openness of our research, research uh, through good reporting. Consultation, it may be in fact co-production. So co-production of research questions, design and conduct with affected people and communities is a really strong theme and is you know, essentially really doable as well. Um, reflective practice. So whenever anyone ever does a degree or a master's or a PhD, we always have to include our ref reflections on our own position and how that affected how we ask questions, the sort of way we interpreted data, kind of reflexivity, reflexivity is like an essential part of everyone's PhD, but then as soon as we do a PhD, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's as common in, in as, as, it, it's, as it should be when it comes to doing funded research, and maybe that's, again, something for funders to require that kind of extra effort to be reflective, yeah. 
And then validation. So in both of the uh, projects I've done with Debbie, we, we tried to do this validation exercise. And I found that really helpful. You know, does this make sense? Is this what you told us? Are we missing anything? Where are the gaps? Where are the silences? And I, and I think we've only really scratched the surface in getting to the bottom of those things. But validation is a really um, useful exercise, which we're not always encouraged to do in our recent research practice. Brilliant. So the second set of recommendations um, focuses on building capacity um, and skills. And again, this is something that I've personally struggled with trying to do. Intentional statements, intentional activity with um, Debbie and Afrika and Basnet about trying to do some work with community organisations to build research literacy. And it's never really come to pass in the way I'd like it to um, because this, the, the, the funding there, the time for researchers is so limited uh, to do this capacity building work, but it's so fundamental. Um, so there's plenty of work we could do on and trying to convince funders of the value of doing that capacity building. Um, and there's been some, some good progress in building capacity within survivor communities, and that's really great progress. But I think more broadly with EDI, community organisations and, and broadly affected communities, I think, it, I think we've got much further to go. Um, and part of that's about ensuring that researchers that we already have in the field have got the right skills, um, the right skills to involve people with lived experience, but the right skills to be involved with people with different backgrounds, that cultural competence um, that um, has been recommended in you know, both of the projects that have been involved with the non-slavery pack. You know, how do we do that? How do we go about it? How do we make sure that we've got a better, more diverse, more competent research base? Because it's not standard to have that kind of training um, as a researcher. Um, we'd like to see the sorts of data that we collected um, repeated at intervals. Um, and it may not be through a bespoke survey, but it, it could be through the data monitoring process. But then showing how it has been used and how it's been used to instigate change would be really helpful to show that uh, change is both possible and been achieved. And this important and urgent issue around bullying, harassment, and other negative experiences like microaggressions is just so fundamental to the future of uh, the researcher um, workforce. So that working in research is seen as a good thing to be doing. That's interesting, exciting, and free from uh, free from harms. Great. So uh, finally, then on creating an infrastructure for EDI by design. So um, over the past few years, uh, co methods doing research with people, not on people, um, have been uh, growing um, and helpful. So um, ensuring that EDI is designed into those co-approaches is going to be really important, but also sort of helping people who don't necessarily work in participatory ways to um, understand that EDI is relevant to their work uh, is really important too. Um, focusing on researcher training, support and improved guidance on how to design in EDI. Um, and that can come from funders and also how uh, researchers are trained. Um, but guidance is helpful and it might be partly about thinking of more imaginative ways of delivering guidance and training so that we don't do more kind of participatory active stuff that lingers in the mind rather than just is reading a, a short EDI practice um, module on the internet. Funding research within research. So this was quite interesting to funders. So 
often we're, as researchers, we'll apply for a project that's on a particular topic, and it might not be modern slavery and human trafficking, but say it is. It may include different methodologies, say you're reviewing literature. If you are doing that kind of research, what's stopping the funders from then funding a mini project within that bigger project to focus on EDI? So if you're doing a literature review, what were the EDI lessons from the literature you looked at that you could um, bring into the field? So how, how diverse was the literature base? If there's an opportunity for reflection or research within that big research project, then it's a very cost-efficient way of doing research. So funders were interested in that idea, as long as it's properly resourced. And then the issue around rapid response. So um, this project and uh, many other projects across the research landscapes uh, are funded uh, time-limited, time-limited, budget-limited periods. And as researchers, it can be really challenging, especially in non-slavery human trafficking, where you may have survivor involvement. And you have to go through quite prolonged um, research ethics processes um, when you don't have a lot of time then it it can bring about sloppier practices when it comes to EDI you become more oriented towards kind of ticking the boxes you need to tick that's fundamental to getting the project done and you're not thinking about the broader EDI issues so you know who are you silencing through that those uh, rapid processes um, is something that we want to definitely avoid and just to um, just to go back to the aims of the study then I think some sort of key just t takeaways there's so many recommendations there um, that we maybe could just focus on on a few of the things in that first aim about gaps strengths opportunities and challenges okay one thing I probably should have said at the start that one of the strengths in the modern slavery research field is that it's a research field which is uh, focused on modern slavery as a problem of inequality. So, modern slavery is the result of gross inequalities in society. And those gross inequalities regenerate modern slavery, the risk of it. It's at its very core. So, the research agenda is fundamentally about improving equality, and we need to sort of gather that opportunity. It's a, it's a real strength that we've got that at the core of the, the research um, problems that we're trying to address. And we might have a better way of articulating that as a field. We've got a really engaged NGO and community sector, um, engaged in terms of wanting to do research because evidence is seen as one of the routes to better policy and better practice. You know, it might not feel like that just now, but better evidence may improve policy. We've also got a really engaged and growing lived experience community, which is fundamental to the, the future of, the, of this field. So those are some of the strengths. There's many, many more. Similarly, opportunities. We're a young, new field, um, aided by a really important piece of legislation less than 10 years ago. We've got an opportunity to shape things um, in terms of equality, diversity, inclusion. We can be a field that others look to for advice, support and guidance on improving EDI. Diversity is embedded in modern slavery and modern slavery research, and it's about embracing that, making best use of the diversity that is embedded in modern slavery research, uh, the modern slavery community as a whole. And it's just making sure that we don't 
let go of that opportunity. And some communities may be harder to engage than others. Some groups of people may be harder to engage, but that we know the diversity is there, so let's make sure we take care of it. And it is a funder priority, so let's get onto them with some advice and support to make their policies more inclusive. We know we've got gaps then from this research. We've got gaps in research reporting, and we can do better because there are some really helpful stuff out there already. We don't have to reinvent the wheel on reporting. We've got some gaps in terms of agenda setting, and we've got some great ideas from the focus groups, but we can do more on that too. Um, you know, if we're um, serving uh, people living with these gross inequalities, then, then there should be more involvement of those people in setting the agendas. Um, we don't have that co-created set of values and principles yet on EDI, and I think that's a gap that we can fill. And then in terms of challenges, investing in capacity building, and that's really a plea to researchers and it possibly the whole higher education sector, um, investing in capacity uh, in, the, in students, in um, research administration, in management, in setting of, of um, funding calls. Challenging relinquishing power. So, you know, everyone sort of internally um, examining their own positions in a field like this, about who's holding power, who's going to have to give up power, so that, um, that there's an equitable, um, more equitable balance of people involved in, in taking those positions of power. And then the last challenge there about the tanker of the funding landscape. So moving from priority action to action will take time and, and we might have to be a bit patient. But there, hopefully, the, um, the commissioners of this piece of work can see that we've fulfilled some of those ambitions around um, identifying strengths, gaps, opportunities and challenges. And it'd be really great to sort of carry on this journey with them and with you for the coming years. Okay, thank you. to Olivia now, to Olivia Hesketh, uh, to reflect on the learning findings and what we've heard today. So over to you, Olivia. Thank you very much, Nina, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Olivia Hesketh, and I'm Director of Policy Impact at the Modern Slavery PEC. And I'd like to, first of all, thank the research team for all of the brilliant work that they've done on the report that was published today. And thank everybody who's joined for the launch event today. I think it's been a fantastic discussion, a really important and thought-provoking discussion. And um, we really welcome the, um, the suggestions that have been made about what we as funders of research into modern slavery can do differently. So I've been asked to speak in this session um, about implementing the learnings and findings from the research and uh, the way forward for the modern slavery pack. So embedding um, equality, diversity and inclusion um, across all of our work at the centre has always been and continues to remain a real priority for us as an organisation. And that's why I'm really pleased to share that today. Um, in line with the launch of this research, we at the Modern Slavery PEC are also publishing our updated uh, EDI action plan, which really has been informed by the emerging findings that we've been discussing with the research team. So since um, the inception of the Policy and Evidence Centre, we've made various commitments to improving EDI. Um, and as a centre, we were set up not only to build on existing research, but also to enable the funding of a much more diverse community of researchers and to really build bridges between uh, different people and organisations involved in understanding and addressing modern slavery. 
and two of our guiding principles for research are around understanding uh, equity and survivor involvement. And following the recommendations that we received um, last year, as Debbie outlined earlier from the, um, the BASNET network, we thought it would be really important to develop a strategy and an action plan on EDI, and we published those last year in 2022. So the update that we're publishing today, the 2023 version, really sets out what we've done um, to hold ourselves to account, what we committed to do, what we've done, and what we plan to do going forward. And I'd just like to put on record uh, my thank you to Nikki Calavides, um, a colleague at the Modern Slavery PEC, or I should sadly say former colleague at the Modern Slavery PEC. Um, Nikki, as Monitoring and Evaluation Manager um, was really instrumental in putting together our strategy and our action plan. Um, and Nikki starts a really exciting new job role today. So we wish her all the best for the future and thank her for all of the amazing work that she did here. Um, so I'll just take you through um, the key findings from the action plan that we're publishing today. Um, it's available already on the Modern Slavery PEC website. Um, so the action plan was really structured around four aims. The first of which was around our desire to um, equitably include individuals and communities with lived experience of modern slavery and those who work closely with them in the modern slavery PECs work. So over the last year, we've really focused on trying to do this in two ways. Firstly, through the research projects that we fund, uh, we've provided support to teams around survivor involvement. We have uh, changed, set up our processes so that people with lived experience participate in the development of research calls and in the application review and panel process. And um, we also recently hosted a conference uh, with the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery and Freedom Fund, which I think some people in this room attended, to really focus on the role of um, how we can better and more equitably include people with lived experience in modern slavery research. And we've also taken steps in this area in our own internal work in the centre as well. So we've recruited a lived experience engagement team and recently also appointed um, a lived experience advisory panel to work with the PEC across everything that we do. We've also helped to convene a working group of organisations that are survivor-led or survivor-engaged um, to uh, collaborate, to share best practice and work together on common issues and increasingly um, including people with lived experience in our policy impacts and our communications work, um, particularly notably uh, in some work that we've done around the Illegal Migration Bill. In terms of how we plan to continue this aim and objective going forward, um, planning to work very closely with our new lived experience advisory panel, a piece of work with the working group around um, developing payment standards uh, for people with lived experience, and continuing knowledge exchange and sharing learnings and really trying to synthesize um, the fantastic work that has been done through the projects that we've funded to share learnings. The second aim of our um, action plan is around um, improving the diversity of those involved uh, in the modern slavery research process to make sure that we're including individuals, communities and organisations with an interest in and affected by modern slavery. So we've done a lot of work over the last year to try and promote more equitable partnerships uh, in the research process. We've tried to think about different ways to share and disseminate learnings, whether, for example, through blogs and podcasts. And we've also changed our funding rules, as has been mentioned already, um, to enable um, a fairer distribution of funding between academic organisations and NGOs and charities who are involved in PEC-funded research. 
We've also thought about different ways that we can bring lots of different groups into the research process. So, for example, we've set up a peer review college uh, involved in all of the application reviews, which includes not just academic uh, researchers, but also experts from community groups and experts by experience. And going forward, we plan to continue this program of workshops, um, lots of activities to uh, promote more equitable and more diverse involvement in the research process. So the third aim of our action plan was to undertake research on EDI within the modern slavery research sector, which really delighted has been launched today. So we've actually changed this aim uh, in the 2023 action plan. So rather than undertaking of the research, um, we've changed this aim. So it's um, around incorporating the learnings from the research um, on the challenges and barriers to EDI and really promoting um, the findings. So as I mentioned, we've already had some really great discussions with the research team about the project which has been launched today. We are reflecting really carefully on all of the recommendations that the research has made, which are directed at funders and directed at us at the Modern Slavery Pack. But in terms of some specific things that we're planning to do um, to really take forward this research, we're planning to continue um, to share the findings, so not just today's event, but other opportunities to really share the findings within our networks. And that includes other funders as well, including the UKRI and the research councils. We're also going to um, make sure that with other research projects that we fund, we really encourage the teams to reflect on um, some of the recommendations that have been made, particularly around um, reflexivity and describing methodology really clearly to make sure that it uh, describes EDI and how that's been considered. Um, some of the, the recommendations really focused on the, the value of co-production and there are a few research projects that we're working on which have involved a co-production element uh, in particular with the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office and with Bernardo's um, but we're looking to do more on co-production. And also, we have recently, uh, it's not on our website yet, but um, we will soon announce we've recently funded two new research projects which are exploring different aspects of cultural competency. So I think it's fair to say that the research that's been launched today is already informing what we do and will continue to inform um, how we take forward our research processes going forward. And then very quickly, um, the final and fourth um, kind of area that we focus on in our EDI action plan is around our own internal um, diversity uh, within the core team that runs the Modern Slavery Pack. And what we've really focused on trying to do is communicating what we're doing um, with openness and transparency, um, engaging with our own host organisations work on equality, diversity and inclusion. Uh, that's the British Institute of International and Comparative Law. Um, in terms of how we're planning to focus on EDI internally going forward, um, we have arranged some training over summer for all PEC staff around trauma-informed practice in the workplace. Um, one thing which I'm really excited about, and I think this goes back to some of the questions and discussion earlier around um, power dynamics, and the research really pointed out um, the need to have brave and courageous conversations. So we um, have agreed with the team who are responsible for this research project to have a re reflexive session between the Modern Slavery Pack and the team to discuss issues around EDI. And we are, as um, Izzy mentioned earlier, really thinking about what happens next for the pack and how we can continue to build in these values um, and build on the work. 
So I think that probably is enough time for me, but just to, again, reiterate our thanks to the team for launching this really important research and just to reiterate our commitment to taking forward um, this work on EDI um, as the PEC. Thank you. So I'll start with Debbie. Just quick reflection to close this gathering. Well, firstly, it's been a great event, and I want to say thank you to everybody. And I want to say thank you as well to our members at Bassnet for taking the time to come from Birmingham, Manchester, London, wherever, to be here, but also for enriching the research in the first place. Um, I feel that uh, it was a very unique um, project that we did, and uh, we had some challenges, of course, but at the end of it, we have a very good quality piece of work that we can actually use to influence changes. So I said influence changes, I'm not saying influencing policy because changes aren't just about policy. Yeah, so to influence changes in so many ways. Absolutely, well said, thank you. Um, Liz? Yeah, um, thanks yeah, to everyone. And um, I suppose uh, often with these sorts of programs of work, um, the term trust comes up a lot and I suppose the trust extends beyond this room to trust in the fact that when we do this sort of work we can be sort of moving it out to other parts of the research landscape and I'm sort of, uh, sort of trusting that we can sort of like do this collectively too that, that, that this piece of work has been done and we know about it and we can help mobilise it beyond the, 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 four, the four walls or the curved walls of, of this room <laughs> um, to sort of flag it as a, a, a good piece of work but also one that takes a slightly different approach and that that should be advocated for to try and influence the research agendas outside of the non-slavery field or um, uh, you know whichever other part of the, the research landscape you occupy that they say you know we can say that this is a different way of doing it and that it's mm. it's um, a start of a, a, a useful journey I think absolutely thank you and it's quite a democratic space curved walls no kind of you know <laughs> excellent I love that Habiba um, for me it's emphasizing that there is no hard to reach population if we take the right state, like going through Africa, when we take the right, mm. go through the right bridge, we will reach any population. Mm. So that's the key for me. That we want to. And I think over the conversations, we've had exactly that same point. I think that's a fabulous point to reiterate and remind ourselves. So thanks, Habiba. And I'd just like, in the end, uh, firstly, um, to thank ourselves as the collective the coalition that worked together uh, on this, and it was it was really um, you know uh, good to work on this important piece of work that we can actually then take forward and really work with our partners, build that coalition, use some of those participatory models, and really bring change. Uh, really like to thank our funders, Modern Slavery Peck, Rose, who's uh, <laughs> recording um, you know um, this this conversation, which is fantastic to have in some shape or form later to remind ourselves, um, and also um, just to also thank very importantly, nothing can happen without the work that goes on in the background. So I'd really really shout out a big thank you to Afruka and to Basnet staff and volunteers who have been here throughout and supported. Uh, this work.
I'd also like to um, shout out a quick thank you to my own institution, St. Mary's, um, who also kind of provided some of the um, QR funding that made this day happen. So um, for the food uh, for this venue, I'd like to also thank staff at the exchange who set this up, um, and also to our wonderful catering team who I sat down with on Friday evening and we decided the menu. So I hope you enjoyed the food. <laughs> there is actually a lot to take away, so really calling out there are big boxes that people, if you wish, just pick it up and take it away because we do not like to waste food. So Carol and I are completely, uh, you know, we are totally devoted to that idea. No food will be wasted, even if we have to expand our waistlines. Um, <laughs> so actually, uh, that was it. Uh, thanks from, uh, you know, me to all of those colleagues who've been involved in making this day in this gathering happen. Thank you to colleagues who've traveled uh, from the different places and being with us here today. Hopefully you've taken some useful points for consideration and sharing in other spaces. So a huge thank you to you all for being here with us. And safe journeys home.